Rolling. This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Inside the Melon Law Studio with Protected by Crime Prevention 24-7-365 in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, God's Country here. And uh, got a little bit of things to talk about today. It's President's Day. I'll get into that after a while. Um, you know, the federal workers need every excuse they can get to take time off. Yet another day off. So, you know, you don't get mail, this, that, one, another. It's all as if there weren't enough days they've taken off. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. In the Coach Hall's locker room, we talk about the real world. And that's the world of sports, right? So uh, thank you for joining everybody here. Uh, for joining up and uh, we'll uh, hopefully let me see if I can find my own self here and um, uh, we'll do all right if we can. So um, interesting thing going on in what I call boar ball. You know, I'm one of the guys who always have called it um, boar ball. I don't know if you uh, feel the same way. I, I, I played baseball. I pitched baseball. I lettered in baseball. So don't think that I'm a, uh, you know, I uh, haven't uh, participated in that, which I'm criticizing. But more ball is a sport which you just, um, you take a look at the stands that the people are watching the game. Uh, they can go off and do something else entirely and uh, sit there and munch on whatever and um, not really miss anything and, um, you know, get up and walk around. And they got a seventh inning stretch. And, you know, it's just meant to be, I think because it was probably originated in a professional way in the big cities where there were a very short, you know, enjoyable summertime, uh, they like to spend as much time at the ballpark, Comiskey Park, uh, you know, the places where the White Sox and uh, Wrigley Field and all these people played um, as they could. I mean, it was the only time they really got to see a green grass for crying out loud. And, and feel the summer air and go out and take the kids and, and just kind of goof off for a while and, um, and uh, have a good old time. So it was, um, it became kind of the rhythm of the sport. I get, this is my theory on it anyway. This is my theory on it. And um, now that we have a more impatient society, uh, other sports are using cameras and clocks and even tennis now has replaced uh, the line calling with a machine and you know we no longer have the old time consuming arguments between a John McEnroe and the chair over whether or not the call was correct the machine makes the call now cometh the time for a baseball to be affected by these changes and according to an article here that I have stumbled across 
um, in the sports section of the journal a while back. Uh, this season, Major League Baseball is adding a pitch clock, is banning infield shifts, and of all things, it's increasing the size of the bases. Now, you wonder, what is all that going to mean? Well, this has all been a result of a collection of data that um, has taken a look at a number of things that um, basically dictate they need to have a more intense experience. Heaven to Bessie, well, how counterintuitive that's been for what baseball has been all these years. We need to have a more intensive experience now if we're going to broaden its appeal, which is, I find, a pretty interesting. So you've got chief strategy officers and chief, opera chief operation officers and all these kind of people putting their heads together to analyze this data and come up with these changes. So this year, Major League Baseball is going to introduce a pitch clock. It will ban the defensive shifts that have, you know, designed to confuse the hitters. And they're going to increase the size, as we said, of the physical bases. All this is with the idea of shortening the gaps of time between actual game action and all the things that uh, can happen, kicking the picking up the rosin bag and kicking the this and that and, you know, allows the fans in the stands just to kind of wander around aimlessly for a while. They're even talking about putting in the minor leagues, heavens to Betsy, a robot umpire to call balls and strikes. Now, I've got friends who are umpires. I've got a friend who had on the show who's been in the who is in the Umpire Hall of Fame. I think the live human being arguing with the coach, the coach arguing with the umpire, kicking dirt on each other, all that, all that drama and that theatrics is really a part of baseball. It, it really is. I mean, it's, this is what the fans kind of get turned on by. It's one of the few things that along with a brush back pitch, that sort of thing, that engages, wake up somebody who's on his third box of popcorn. So uh, I don't know if I'm in favor of a robot umpire, even though I am kind of disengaged with boar ball. I would much rather watch lady softball. Lady softball is intense. It's a, a, a shortened bases and fast underhand pitching and a lot of strategy because little mistakes can make a difference. You don't have some guy up there just clocking it over the center field fence all the time. So basically this is a result of the fact that the strategists have realized it's become harder to command the consumer's attention. And what they have deduced from their studies of the data is that fans want a faster game with a crisper pace of play. And the clock is uh, going to be interesting. 
there's going to be five clocks. If I'm understanding all this correctly, two in the outfield, three behind the plate. Pitchers have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty and 20 seconds with a runner on base. So the penalty for the pitcher taking too much time is an automatic ball added to the count. Now we have a clock in tennis and you can be penalized for taking too much time. It's 30 seconds between serves. So if the hitter isn't ready, consequently when the clock is ready, then it's an automatic strike. So it works both ways. It works against the pitcher and it works against the hitter. So what do you have? You have a situation where um, each participant has got to speed it up a little bit. All this in hopes that the fans will be a little more interested. I don't know if it'll change the fans in the stands because they don't come there to be hurried anyway. Where are we talking? We're talking, of course, out there on television land. So in Major League Baseball in 2022, uh, games averaged uh, a span of four minutes between batted ball events. Four minutes between batted ball events. And you got to think about all this. Uh, you know, pitchers during this time were regaining their energy and hitters were stepping in and out of the box and, you know, throwing off speed, breaking pitches this time of thing. Uh, this has been at the expense of efficiency in speeding the game up. So the pitch clock will be controlled by a major league uh, uh, employee, operator, and the umpires will in, be in charge of policing the new policies. Now, the new rules require extensive levels of specification. You know, when the pitcher receives the ball from the catcher, is that when the pitcher's delivery, or is it when the pitcher's delivery begins? Or does it, is it when he takes a step back in the windup? Or is it when he lifts his front leg? All these things are going to have to be figured out as to when the clock starts. The infield positioning rules are also complex. If two fielders have to be on either side of the second base bag, does that mean the shortstop and second baseman could stand linking arms behind the top point of the base, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So spring training is going to run for about six weeks, and Major League Baseball is hoping that by ironing, by opening day, they'll have these things ironed out. And depending upon whether you are, as we say in the sporting world, uh, old school or new school, you would either like or dislike the changes coming to Major League Baseball. As far as I know, there's no talk of this yet in uh, college baseball, although I understand college baseball has now got a mercy rule or if you're just clobbering the heck out of the opponent and the fans are really getting bored and leaving, uh, call the game. 
if it looks like there's no chance of the opponent coming back. We have this in softball now, and currently we have a UF softball team that is good enough to have to have used it, I think, just about every time. Uh, I think a board ball at Florida also used it. Um, so it's uh, uh, coming probably. What goeth uh, in the Major League Baseball may come. It certainly is the case in college football. The instant replay, the intrusion of the cameras, all that business. And as my good friend Ken Hillier has mentioned just now in the chat room, uh, will this change the endless advertising? Oh, boy. You got to pay for it, my man. You got to pay for it. Deion Sanders, what a character. Deion Sanders just happens to be have one of the most talented, along with Bo Jackson, athletes to ever play professional sports. They both played baseball and football extremely well. Of course, Bo Jackson was injured. Deion Sanders went on to have a fantastic career in both sports. And he's also an interesting, quirky kind of guy when it comes to being a football coach, which he was enormously successful at at Jackson State in Mississippi, so much so that he's been hired to go out and take control of Colorado football. And as he's come to Colorado football, there's been an interview of him um, in uh, one of the sporting by Nick Cosgo. That's kind of interesting. Now, having been a coach, football coach myself, I can tell you that what he's talking about is pretty darn helpful, I'm sure, to him. Uh, one of the things we have, of course, is all these rating systems that have to do with um, how fast can you run, is that one and jump through the hoops and all this and this and that wing another. And you try to make decisions and um, it's purely athletic ability practically. Sanders says he still wants that type of character in this interview. He says this. He wants the smart, tough, fast, disciplined guy with character. And he makes a breakdown among these players on a team that I've always known. Having been on the field, the, the quarterback is the, has to be the smartest. He has to be. Um, and you've seen guys and we may have had one this last time in Florida, who have talent but just don't have the ability to process all the information it takes to engineer uh, the team down the field successfully. Um, quarterbacks Sanders recognizes are different, but he has his own criteria for how to select them. And I thought this might be interesting to pass along to you uh, who prefer uh, this type of conversation in Coach Hall's locker room, which we do every Monday. For our quarterback, Deion Sanders looks for a young man who's had a mother and a father he calls dual parents. Isn't that interesting? If you don't have a mother and a father, what's he getting at? He's probably getting at you don't have authority figures. You haven't had a parent, a couple that want to take interest in your education. So we're looking for a candidate for quarterback who has a mother and a father. The reason the mother and the father is important 
is because they want their kid to be a 3.5 and up GPA. Now, I bet you Deion Sanders has found this through inductive reasoning. In other words, he's looked at patterns and found uh, inst separate instances and looked at and seen a pattern. And now it's become what we call deductive reasoning is going to be the criteria by which he looks for a quarterback. So mother, father, 3.5 GPA, have to be smart, and no bad decisions off the field. So you have to have a spotless kind of behavior off the field. Many players can't just leave the field behavior behind when they go off the field. And they get in brawls in bars, and they mistreat women, all this cetera stuff, stuff, stuff. goes on. But not the quarterback. Also, it helps, he says, for the candidate for quarterback to have been a coach's son. So they go looking, Deion Sanders, or a quarterback, goes looking for dual parent, 3.5 GPA, no record off the field, and a coach's son who's coached him in high school, maybe all along. Now for linemen, he has a distinction for offensive linemen and defensive linemen. He says that the offensive linemen, also he looks for dual parent homes with a strong father. And, a, and at least a 3.3 GPA. Of course, they have to be tough, physical, to be an offensive lineman. But he's correct. The offensive lineman is cerebral. He has to be smart. Additionally, he has to be strong. Very seldomly does he just get to slam, bam, across the line of scrimmage where the defensive linemen do. He has got to use his head and be aware of what he's getting ready to have to deal with. I think, once again, Deion Sanders is on to something. Now, for defensive linemen, and defensive players are all aggression and speed and meanness. I'd go beyond toughness. I'd go to meanness. He says, defensive lineman, he looks, get this now, for a single mama, he's the defensive lineman candidate is on free lunch, his single mama and him are barely making it, and he sees his sole purpose in life practically is to save mama, to save mama. So since he's been a little kid, he's been fighting to protect mama. It's like mama can't make it without him. This is the type of guy Deion Sanders looks for as a defensive lineman. Now, he's been pretty successful, Deion, already in getting people to come to Colorado. He says you don't have to sell it, 
because it's so beautiful out there with the mountains. But he is also competing with programs that are more established, that have been winners. Colorado won 11 last season. And he has to compete with West Coast schools in the Pac-12. Now, already Colorado has the number 33 overall recruiting class for 2023, according to On3 database. That's good for number six in the, in the Pac-12. He trails Oregon, USC, Utah, Washington, and UCLA. Now, he has flipped Travis Hunter, a top-ranked recruit from Florida State, where actually Dion played, to Jackson State last year. So he has the ability to flip these players, and he has the ability to find what he's looking for when he recruits. I thought that was pretty interesting in Coach Hogg's locker room. I think there's an awful lot of truth to that, a great deal of truth to that, um, in case you ever wonder about how guys think. Um, Brittany Griner, where would we be without in sports the Brittany Griner story? You basically know what irks the public about her is um, she criticized the United States as being racist. Uh, <clears throat> she led rebellions on her teams. <clears throat> they all wanted to emulate her. Um, she goes to Russia <clears throat> to play in the European League and goes in there with an illegal drug. And of course, when you watch the conventional news talk about it, oh, it was just a little bit of illegal drug. What? What? What are you talking about? A little bit. Why do you say that? Why do you just don't say? Why, 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 just, why don't you say she entered a thing with an illegal substance? Knowingly. And so we know what happened. She got slammed in the gulag, for God's sakes, and Russia played like the key was thrown away, which we knew wasn't uh, thrown away. It would give an example of cooperation, negotiation. And we would swap one of ours for one of theirs, you know, that kind of deal. The thing is, it irks people. We didn't swap equally. We gave back one of theirs who was really should never have been given back. And we got one of ours who should never have been in that situation in the first place. But the one we really should have gotten back is still there. Go figure. Go figure. So now she is, of course, she is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, vaping cartridges is what she really had, along with, uh, you know, this is more uh, serious than the cannabis oil. She had vaping. It means she was pretty hardcore. Um, and, you know, she was sentenced to nine years in the jug. Well, when she returned to the U.S. in December and they finally got her out, she said she intended to resign with the team that drafted her first overall in the 2013 draft. Um, and that's what she has done. She has resigned uh, with uh, uh, that, that team. 
and I believe it's Phoenix. And she's going to use, she says, uh, she, she, I think they're paying 170 grand for the season. I mean, that's just doesn't count, believe me, all the other stuff that's going to be thrown in the pot. But she says she's now going to use her platform, which is herself, uh, to help bring home Paul Whelan and all the other Americans that weren't released. And uh, she's going to encourage everyone to help her do that. I have to say that's better than saying much what a rotten country we are. Um, that that uh, helps uh, clear the deck, if you will, a little bit. You know, that's what you should be doing. Instead of slamming the country, which gets you out, help the country get the others out. So I interpret that as kind of a positive story uh, from uh, Griner. Unfortunately, look at what it took to wring it out of her, but so be it. It looks as if it might have worked in a convoluted, uh, unfortunate kind of twist of circumstances. So um, get ready for the clock in baseball. I don't know if you'll have, I hope not personally, uh, automated strikes and balls. I, I just, I just, there's something you about the argument and the raucous behavior that much of it being, of course, theatrics and rightfully so. And those will serve to wake up the fans languishing in the stands who are busy chattering away about everything but baseball. And of course, yours true, who played the game, I was a pitcher, still call it bore ball. One of the reasons I wanted to pitch is because I wouldn't be bored. I mean, when I wasn't pitching, sometimes they'd put me in the outfield. You know, you got time to take a nap out there every, you know, pretty, quite a bit. Every once in a while, you get jarred into your uh, sensibilities. You have to haul, you know, buttocks and catch the ball and all that. It's kind of dramatic. And the most dramatic play out there, of course, is to sling it uh, from deep in center to home plate on one bounce. Uh, then now that that's that's probably worth the price of admission. Or the Willie Mays catch over the head running backwards. Um, that's that's another. I've seen Minnie Minoso uh, pull some outstanding uh, catches in Comiskey Field. So and I knew all uh, this is the time when I'm Ernie Banks, all these guys. Ted Klazuski, um, you know, I was around, you know, for for these guys, Frank Robinson, uh, of course, the Mantles, more, more, uh, Maris, and that whole bit. Uh, but my favorite team, I think, was the Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers. And I think the worst thing that ever happened to pro baseball is when they moved the Brooklyn Dodgers out of Brooklyn. Los Angeles Dodgers? I mean, come on. Are you Are you serious? I mean, it starts out boring. Brooklyn Dodgers, man, they would die for you. It was a neighborhood, you know, religious experience. So I kind of stopped watching. You know, Dizzy Dean was my favorite, Pee Wee Reese. I, I stopped watching pretty much. Of course, the Cleveland Indians, there were another one we watched. Um, oh, man, they had to watch their name now, right? Cleveland Indians. But um, 
I don't know if this will rescue Borball or not, but Borball went downhill for yours truly when they pulled the Dodgers out of Brooklyn. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files Ward's Weather Report brought to you by Lewis Oil. Great sponsor, great friend. Well, 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 we've got a kind of a schizophrenic weather going on in the country. I, I use that term. I know it's a, um, some kind of term applies to the way people see things, I suppose, in their heads. But we got frigid air and snowstorms in store for the western U.S. this week. Another big dump of great snow coming into the Colorado Rockies if you like skiing. Uh, tremendous opportunity there to get out there and, and have uh, some real good base. And then we got record-breaking warmth coming for the southeast. That means us. Um, I, I feel like we're in a time warp here. It's like a month or two later than it actually is. Uh, we're going to go up into the 80s. We're going to stay there, as I understand it, for the week. Uh, a little bit of rain. We'll be off and running with some fresh grass. Now, don't think that nature can't uh, double back on us and 
bring a frost again and ruin the whole scenario. But I suppose it's all because of uh, um, the things that we've got going on with climate change, you know, which ultimately boils down to getting everybody in an electric car, does it not? So anyway, notwithstanding the electric car, the absence or the presence of it, we're still going to have snowstorms and frigid air in uh, the west of the United States, and we're going to have record-breaking warmth in the east and southeast particularly. So go figure. That's the way it works right now. Well, I'm going to do some local things for you because, you know, as I've said before, what goes on in Gainesville goes on in the United States in terms of Democrat behavior. There's, it is no secret that the city of Gainesville, well, you heard me joke, resides by the Lake of the Stupids, populated by the genetic material from the UFO landing in 1947. There's no other way to explain it, really. And everything that comes out of here has the most cockaloony type of things that common sense and ideological free thinking will, could not possibly accept. Now, there's a woman named Yvonne Hayes Henson, who used to be Yvonne Henson Rawls, won't go there. Obviously, the name's changed. No longer married to Mr. Rawls, I guess. It, it incredibly, is now the House District 21 representative. It's just, it, it's just mind-boggling, but there she is. And this is compliments of Channel 20, who covered this. She hosts a, quote-unquote, resource summit for formerly incarcerated citizens in Gainesville's Saturday. I'm going to repeat the language. A resource summit for formerly incarcerated citizens. Now, the summit is supposed to help citizens understand how to keep their voting rights after prison. After prison. Now let me let me interrupt the, the, the thing here. After get, keep, keep this in your mind. After prison. As if You go to prison and you're one and done. And you come out of prison. No mention, by the way, of restitution. I had a friend who had his truck stolen recently. And they catch the guys. Are they going to get buy him a new truck? I mean, really? An F-350 diesel? Are they the people who stole it? If they're caught? Are they going to buy him a new truck? Is that what you're telling me? So she holds this summit 
to help citizens understand how to keep, keep. In other words, they've always had them, all right? Why have they always had them? Because it's a right. You don't have to do anything on your end. You just sit around and you receive this right. Now, this is a this is a public official. Here is the I'm not going to show you the name of the guy who's public record. Here is the rap sheet of a sex offender that was just discovered by our investigators. Well, just you know, quite a while ago, and it's just worked his way through the system to come back and be held accountable for voter B. Now, I want to ask you, take Henson, whatever her name is now, Hayes Henson's comment after prison. Please tell me when there's after prison. I don't know if you can see that or not. Page one. Page two. Page three. Page four. Page five. Now tell me when an individual who has a criminal record of five pages, at what moment is it after prison? Now, this started for this character, 1982. And let me just tell you what the courts did for this guy. He was charged with theft in 1982. Uh, Nole wasn't wasn't prosecuted. He operated a motor vehicle without a license. Wasn't prosecuted. This is all within the same month in 1982. He attempted to elude a police officer. Wasn't, pro- wasn't, wasn't prosecuted. And then, four or five months later, criminal mission. Well, he was found guilty of that. Then, another four or five months later, theft. We ran to July of 1982. Found guilty of that. 1985. Aggravated assault. No information on that. 1986. Forgery. Wasn't prosecuted. 1986. Armed robbery. Found guilty of that. And just before that. Damage to property. Uh, 
he was found guilty of that. 1985, battery, no, no information. 1987, forgery, wasn't prosecuted. 1987, forgery, wasn't prosecuted. 1987, again, wasn't prosecuted. I'm not even up to 2020. You think it bothered this guy? Signing up to go vote? He's been forging documents forever. Why don't you lock up the person who will let him do it? I'm going to try to race through this. Because it goes on for five pages. Cocaine, 87. Burglary, 88. Um, These cases were dismissed. Um, Oh, boy. I'm, I'm going to try to find a guilty one. 1989, finally found guilty of a theft. Um, Robbery in 1990, which was a second-degree felony, that was dropped. I don't know why. I mean, come on. Well, here's a doozy of a page. Uh, 1990, battery, guilty. Stole another vehicle in 1990. That was dropped. Contempt of court. That was a third-degree felony. That was dropped. Robbery with a firearm in 91. Uh, Pled guilty to some other charges, which was grand theft auto. Found guilty of that. Stealing cars all over the place. Here's a big one. 1991 sexual battery, which is a second-degree felony. Found guilty. That one right there, you can never pay back the victim. So therefore, you can never be eligible to vote. So since 1991, this guy has been a registered sexual offender and he's allowed to vote by the supervisor of elections. This is all incidentally in Lodgeville County. I don't know. You go tell me. Tell me what's going on here. I don't know. And it goes on and it goes on. Grand theft auto again. There the victim decided not to prosecute. God knows why. Tempted to flee in 07. Found guilty. I'm not even to the end of this. I got two more pages to go. Okay? I got two more pages to go. Yvonne, Hayes, whatever your name is. When are you going to help this person understand how to keep his voting rights after prison. Now, her, in her mind, he's a returning citizen. He's been a returning citizen every time. And her uh, her statement, she was afraid to go, he was afraid to go get a voter registration card. He was afraid to vote. This guy doesn't know fear. And then she says they're afraid to vote because the governor has formed this election police. That's going around arresting people. And she says, even though there's only about 20, she doesn't know what she's talking about. You wait till you see all of them. But you see, they're afraid to vote because DeSantis has formed the election cops. This is an elected representative saying this crap.
It's in, it's incredible. Now, do it, would it be worth my time to go run her down, to go run down Channel 20, to go run down and say, uh, Representative Hinson, what, what are you talking about? Of course, she won't know what she's talking about. What are you talking about? I've got one guy here with a record from 1882 to 2023. That's 40 years. This is a this is this is an habitual felon. I got to take a cup of coffee on that. I'm looking at chat line. I don't know if y'all don't find that bewildering. Ben, you know, I don't live in the same world. That's not the first crazy thing that's going on with local politicians. And I got two or three more examples. I I, I just, I got about 10 minutes. I don't know whether I can get into them or not. I think I'm going to save them for tomorrow. These examples of some more crazy things that are going on here. We get into tomorrow. Social engineering. People are trying to socially engineer. Let me um. Talk about something here with you. That irks contributors and donors now. The University of Central Florida. Are you ready? Christopher Rufo wrote about this. Has adopted, you know the answer, radical diversity, equity, and inclusion programming that segregates students by race, condemns the United States as white supremacist culture, and encourages active discrimination against the oppressor class, which is characterized as male, white, heterosexual, able-bodied, and Christian. This according to Christopher Rufo. Officially, UCF reports that it has 14 separate diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, and they cost in the aggregate more than $4 million per year. And they are there to present present the ideology of diversity, equity, and inclusion and entrench it everywhere. In the university's administration and academic departments, there's a blizzard of programs and classes and trainings 
We've got this out on Wartop Bulletin right board right now at the University of Florida. You can see it. Committees, certifications, events, etc. This kind of stuff, according to, to Rufo's analysis, has exploded into prominence since George Floyd in 2020. It endorses Black Lives Matter. The sociology department pledges allegiance to Black Lives Matter. Uh, the physics department has released a statement promising to address systemic anti-Black racism and policing. Uh, the anthropology department, my God, of all places, has published a statement denouncing white Euro European hegemonic systems and vowed to advocate for a more reclusive society based on the principles of cultural relativism, which means no culture is superior to any other cultures, which is a bunch of crap. Of course, it has a chief diversity officer. The city of Gainesville has a chief diversity officer, over 200,000 a year. Um, the problem is people, this is what I'm interested in. People may have made donations to the University of Central Florida. I know one particular donor whose donations practically started the University of Central Florida. Have they been consulted? But on the other hand, when you give a donation to a university, do you have any way of knowing that it might morph into something you never realized it would be? It could become because when you donated to the university, it never ever occurred to you that this kind of stuff would visit your donation. The Washington Examiner, Jeremy Poff, the descendants of the University of a descendant of the University of Richmond mega donor. He's one of the guys who is a family member of somebody who gave to the University of Richmond more than $3 billion. He wants that money back. Because the university law school stripped the law school of his ancestor's name. In an open letter to the University of Richmond President Kevin Halleck, Virginia-based attorney Robert Smith blasted the university for removing the name of his great-great-grandfather, T.C. Williams, from its law school and demanded that the university turn over its $3.3 billion endowment as recompensation. He says that since you and your activists went out of your way to discredit the Williams name, you must presume that the Williams family money, therefore, is tainted. 
And in order to demonstrate your moral virtue, he's, this is a pretty good argument. He won't win it. You need to give all the money back that we gave you. The entire $3.3 billion endowment. And we'll give that money to charitable purposes that are not infected by this ideology. The university claimed it had found evidence that T.C. Williams Sr., a wealthy Virginia resident who lived through the Civil War and donated to the college, are you ready for this, had owned slaves. But Robert Smith noted that Williams' son, T.C. Williams Jr., was also a substantial benefactor of the university. He did not own slaves. And he recounted how many other members of the Williams family have been regularly donating to the University of Richmond. The law school, he says, was not named the T.C. Williams Senior Law School. It was named the T.C. Williams Jr. Law School, which T.C. Williams Jr. had no connection to slavery. This is the type of stuff. I applaud this guy for doing this. The University of Richmond Board of Trustees in 2022 changed the official name of the law school from the T.C. Williams School of Law to the University of Richmond School of Law. And they said they did this in accordance with a naming principle, which is principle six, which states no building, program, professorship, or other entity at the university should be named for a person who directly engaged in the trafficking and or enslavement of others or openly advocated for the enslavement of people. And obviously, even if you go by that criteria and try to revise history, T.C. Williams Jr. did not have any of those characteristics. One last story, which I think is interesting. An ER nurse named Stephanie Beggs took good notes, just as I encourage you all to take good notes. And as she took those notes preparing for her exams, she began selling her notes once she graduated from nursing school. And then she realized she'd sell her study sheets. And now she's finding that she can make a fortune by selling her own notes. 
And so far, are you ready for this? Her note selling business, which began in 2020, by 2020-22, had made her $2 million in profits. So now her business is a full-time job. She continues working as a nurse, but she also has a gig as a university instructor, and she sells her notes and makes a fortune. And one of the things I always taught my students to do was to take notes. And I said, you can take those notes and you can use them on the exam. And the students who, believe me, did well. And the students who didn't, did less well. Amazing world we live in, is it not? Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.